0: Welcome to Great Move North. If you're just looking, just wondering, or even just about to do it, then this just might be the place to start. We meet the people who've taken a leap of faith and jumped, as they land there's challenges, sometimes despair, often followed by smiles and silent amazement at the sights now surrounding them. If you're a global telecoms executive grounded by pandemic, you have two choices, sit and wait or do something different. Keith Mothersdale chose different, very different. First, he connected his sleepy Dales village to the world. Then he connected his garden shed to the record books. I asked Keith how he became the fastest man in Britain. Keith, you've travelled a good bit around the world. Mm. Before we sat down to have this chat today, you were telling me about your time in America, in Massachusetts and the similarities with the north of England. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, well, I had a small business in uh, Salts Mill in Shipley, West Yorkshire, repairing electronic equipment and doing specialist design equipment. And then I moved into a new company uh, making defence equipment for fighter aircraft and defence systems. And I ended up living in Massachusetts uh, with that company for some time. And uh, we set up the business in a mill in called the Wanner Lancet Centre in Massachusetts. And uh, it was a replica copy from Salt's Mill in Salt Air, Shipley, um, where the US copied the uh, industrial textile revolution and built the similar type factories in the United States. We, of
0: salt showed them how to do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the the BBC um, did a documentary on called on Business Matters, and filmed Salt's Mill in Shipley, and it was derelict. It was not uh, taken care of. It was falling to pieces. This was the days before Jonathan Silver bought it, of course, and uh, and then came over to the US to show. Um, What the US have done with similar type properties, and the Wanner Lancet Centre that I was working in, which just looked like the salt's mill, was full of incredible high-tech companies, including ourselves, and we were making uh, defence systems to ship overseas um, from uh, this centre. And uh, they were trying to show the difference between one that's been rejuvenated and is generating thousands of jobs and et cetera, to one in in the UK that's just not had anything done to it. And of course, I had worked in that one. So they interviewed me to describe what I felt the difference was and why it was and et cetera.
0: But what's interesting, of course, you were an early adopter in that Iconic building in Salter. Yes. Which, of course, now has been transformed itself.
1: Yes, uh, Jonathan Silver bought it and uh, the the clothes maker and turned it into an incredible uh, facility. Sadly, he died very young, of course, but. uh, Pace Microtechnology are in there, one of the biggest set-top box companies in the world. David Hockney has his gallery in there. It's a visitor centre. It's incredible. But uh, unfortunately, at the time when I was there, we were just a few units and uh, around this derelict building, really.
0: And you're now living in North Ribblesdale, not far from the forest of Boland. You've yep. moved a little bit from Soltaire, but you've yep. travelled around the world before making this great move back to the north.
1: absolutely, yeah. Give us a little flavour of where you've been. Uh, Well, I've worked for many big, big, big companies uh, around the world. Uh, I've visited most countries. uh, i lived in the United States, uh, been to Australia. So I've worked all over the world. Um, I've uh, worked for companies in Brighton as well in the UK, Orpington in Kent, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and
0: now you're focusing on your new life here and bringing change to this community.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, out of all the places I've been, this is, this is just the best of the best. North Yorkshire is something else. And uh, the community spirit that we've got, and, and uh, the, the, there's a lot of very, very, very high-tech people live in the north here
0: how's that community spirit different say to a, a vibrant place like Brighton you've just mentioned
1: um I think we've we're more people orientated I feel they're smaller communities uh, very very focused on each other helping each other um and it's it's just second second to none in my view
0: that helping is something that goes with your name in this community because I happen to know you've helped dozens, possibly hundreds of individual homeowners and small businesses, Mm. including in your own um, community right here um, to connect with the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had the worst broadband in the world, (laughs) almost, I would say, uh, given that my broadband in my home uh, was uh, four megabits download and 0.4 upload, which meant when I was doing design files for for the company working from home, uh, I actually had to post them to America, to China, Um, FedExed them over on a memory stick because I couldn't upload them or download them. So we've got this incredible broadband here now. In fact, it's the best in the world. There's there's no question about that.
0: And you've used the phrase working from home. When you were working from home, that was pre-pandemic. Yes. And you were in this situation where, as you say, the the broadband was effectively little more than dial-up. Yeah. Connectivity using snail mail. And now transformed. Yeah, how did that come about?
1: Well, there's a company called BARN, and it's spelled B with four RN, so it's broadband for rural north. And it's a community-driven project where each village can fund its own broadband um, introduction, if you like. With them, they'll design it. They'll bring the broadband to your village, but you have to raise the funds to do that in a village, and all these villages have done that. There's over 8,000 connections now. 8,000? 8, 8,000, yeah.
0: Isn't that what governments have been talking about doing for the last 10 years, successive governments? Yes. And have they done anything? No. no. So you've taken it, you, these people at Barn, others have taken it into their own hands to bring about this transformation. How?
1: So, so basically, we all come together... And you need a champion. Each village needs its own champion to make this happen. It was myself and, uh, and and another chap in Rathmel. And then we get the community together. You get Barn to come in and do the talking. We helped with some of the talking. And what it's going to bring to the community as a game changer by bringing this super broadband to your homes given what we've got today and everybody bought into it to the point of uh, we raised the money initial money in in two weeks the project was up and running in six weeks the wayleaves were signed with farmers across the dales to bring the fiber to trench it through their fields and then we got it to the cabinet in in rathmel and then the rest is down to the locals to dig the gardens to bring the fiber up to the home to install the kits into the home and also help with the in-home networking because this is the fastest broadband in in the world and there's no question about that and there's nobody else in the UK providing symmetrical gigabit broadband that's a 1000 megabit down and a 1000 megabit up for 30 pounds a month and there's just no way you can get a 50th of that for that money in the uk
0: and who's the ultimate owner
1: we are we're all shareholders everybody uh, who's contributed uh, is a shareholder in this uh, in this entity business
0: isn't it likely that one of the big providers would come along and look to buy out this I'm, business
1: i'm absolutely sure they they would love to because investing to do this is very expensive for the big providers to, 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 to just be able to buy 8,000 homes on gigabit broadband would be a dream come true. However, it's a non-profit organisation, is Barn, and uh, it's not ever up for sale. It can't be sold, per se, because of the way it's been legally structured. Uh, the shareholders own it, and, um, and long may it carry on.
0: A model being used elsewhere in the country or being followed?
1: Yes, absolutely. There's several Barn um, Copies Barn are helping people in Norfolk. Uh, is another one that I know is happening. Um, there's one up in Scotland uh, doing doing the same. Um, so yes, it, it's, it is being copied.
0: So you've you, you've always been an early adopter. You've we've talked about Saltzmill and what you were doing yep. in the states. We've talked about Barn, but also, rumor has it you're the fastest man in the west.
1: Yes, uh, definitely, I'm the Lewis Hamilton of the broadband world. In North Yorkshire, definitely for for certain. How's that happen? Uh, right. Tell me what it means. <laughs> well, Barn uh, gave us all a gigabit, it's a thousand L thousand up, and that's beyond comprehension. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but as the technology director of one of the largest broadband equipment design and manufacturers in the world, uh, I, I I designed some kit and I gave it to uh, Barn to, to play with, and they liked it very much. And as a thank, describe the kit. Bit, uh, is it? It's an interconnect. ...for connecting Ethernet cables. So, because making ends of Ethernet cable extensions, etc., is very difficult, very complex. And you make them, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. This is, you just need a pair of scissors, and you can make a, a sophisticated gigabit cable interconnect with a pair of scissors. And it's a little breakout box. So I gave them uh, some, a few hundred of these, and they just fell in love. And they said, as a thank you, we'll, um, would you like to try our 10 gigabit broadband service? 10 gigabit down and 10 gigabit up. So uh, I said, yes, please. So they came and changed the laser in the cabinet. They came and brought me a 10 gigabit uh, router. And then I tried it, and it became a labour of love because actually to be able to test 10 gigabit is a, is, is beyond comprehension. Not many computers are uh, even capable of, of that. So I had to build a new computer, a, a super high-speed gaming computer at the cost of £1,200. And my wife's watching all this... <laughs> I'm putting this computer together. And you're doing
0: this here in your garden yeah. studio?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I got the thing up and running, and, uh, and Barnard lent me an interface that would allow you to do the 10-gigabit interface between your computer from the modem to the computer. And uh, this thing got so hot, it, it actually burnt my desk Uh, So I I thought, well, this isn't isn't working. So I ended up buying an expensive gigabit interface Ethernet card for the PC. Um, I ended up getting super fast memory, super fast RAM. It's liquid cool. And then finally, I'm testing hyper fast. Now I'm Lewis Hamilton with my foot Pedal to the metal, um, but then finding a test server that you can go online and test 10 gigabits is another issue. And I went through lots and lots and lots of servers. Eventually, I narrowed it down to three or four. And then to get the absolute maximum speed, I had to get up in the middle of the night. When nobody was using these servers to get the absolute, to squeeze the last megabit per second out of them. And uh, the best I got was 9,500 megabit down and 8,500 megabit up, given that super fast broadband is classed at 65 megabits in the UK. 9,500 is just a bit quicker than that.
0: Well, I, I'm not sure i followed every step of that, <laughs> but it sounds extraordinary, Keith. And give us an idea what that sort of speed means in everyday usage, if you're downloading a movie or yeah. gaming or whatever.
1: Well, if you take the typical um, high speed in the UK as it is today, 65 meg. Others can offer up to 200 meg. Uh, Some can offer 1,000, but they don't offer 1,000 symmetrical, so it might be 1,000 down, but only 100 up. So so basically, I can download a HD 4K movie, for example, super high-definition movie, that even on typical fast broadband would take an an hour, maybe a bit more than that. I can download that in a couple of minutes and uh, and I can upload to sites data at the same speed.
0: So is this the equivalent of, um, you know, a Wall Street trading room, the City of London speeds? And-
1: oh, absolutely. I mean, most companies would take, uh, uh, biggish companies would take a, a 10 gigabit feed to share through the company, to share throughout all the users. I've got that on my desk at home. So
0: what's it costing?
1: Uh, if you wanted it, uh, it's, £150 pounds a month to have 10 gig, which I can tell you I know for a fact that other providers um, who will give you a specific 10 gig want in excess of £1,200 pounds a month. The one gig is £30 pounds a month, symmetrical one gig, yeah. which, believe it or not, is future-proof enough. And so, so
0: you've got a gaming rig that you've designed?
1: Yeah, because gaming computers are, are, are relatively the best and cheapest, fastest computer that you can Buy. Without, Faster than your average laptop. Yeah, without going to sophisticated servers and things that you know big companies use, um, and also it had to support Windows 10, which is another. It, that, that's the other issue because uh, servers using 10 gigabits in big companies they don't support Windows. They're, they're, they're it's a different protocol it, it, altogether. So I had to find a system that would support Windows 10 to be able to measure it and uh, it, uh, the number of tests i've done is in- incredible and i've shown it to one of the biggest providers in the uk one of my customers and i can't repeat what the feedback was when it when the uh, email came back
0: <laughs> extraordinary so how do you see the future then, Keith, for communities like this, getting this level? I mean, obviously not everybody's going to want 10 gigabit. Mm. Most people would be happy just to have secure broadband upload and download at a reasonable yep. level. What does it do for rural communities um, across the north?
1: Well, first of all, it future-proofs, it future-proofs your business. It future-proofs your home. And, and what does the future-proof bit mean? Well, everything, almost everything now, is Internet-driven, your banking, your shopping, uh, your doctors e- even interview you over the internet now. Uh, businesses are running from home. Uh, for example, in Rathmel, the um, horse equine um, centre, um, they've got databases running between b- properties and etc. But more importantly, from a TV and and uh, that type of medium it's all coming what's called over the top now more and more it, it won't be long before there's there's no satellite there's there's no aerials it'll just be a broadband connection a broadband pipe and everything in your home goes through that it's almost like that now when you go on netflix that's a broadband medium without high-speed broadband you can't have netflix amazon prime TV, all these things now you're watching 4k movies 8k movies but 8k movies now it'll be 16k it'll, it'll be 20k it's if you look at the exponential growth of speed requirements it, it's incredible so you know like the government's now talking of getting gigabit speeds to every home in the uk well we have it we we've had it now for a year or two and uh, ten, and, and we can have 10 gig now well, you, there's just no way you can have that but you will require 10 gig it will come
0: and, and so for people talk about working from home and people going back into the office and then this notion of a hybrid part part office part home i know yeah. you've traveled yeah, yeah. Uh, internationally how do you see the future and i'm asking you because you've been a bit of a futurologist in yeah. the sense of back to salts mill and everything you've yeah. done looking ahead how do you see the future
1: i see more and more people working for big international companies in very high level jobs working two or three days from home two days maybe in the office or traveling you know etc but the home will be the key key base i found over the last 20 plus years that working from home I get more done in a day working from home than I would in a week in the office. Because you go into the office, yeah, you need face-to-face. Absolutely, you do at the right time, you need face-to-face. But you've nobody pushing and pulling and taking a piece of you and, sh- and the phone's non-stop. You can get your head down, you can do some really quality work. And I think it's important also to be able to walk away from that at any point in the day if you need to, just to clear your head, et cetera. You can't in the office. Mm. Um, uh, so with a high-speed broadband interconnect, you can be talking to 20 people in 20 countries, all simultaneous, as if they're sat in front of you. Um, and, and 20 you, minutes later in the heart of the
0: Dales just... Absolutely.
1: And you can do high-definition presentations, real-time. It's all in real-time as well. You know, There's no delays. Uh, and uh, it, it, this whole thing now opens up a whole new working regime for people, I feel.
0: What are the attractions, though, for younger generations who perhaps are wondering whether or not the North is suitable for them? Does it work for people who are looking to transport their families from other parts of the country, or other countries, to come to this part of
1: the world? Well, I think it definitely... Um, we've got one of the nicest standards of living up here, uh, I think, in the world. We've got the, the most scenic and beautiful countryside, uh, incredible people. I found the number of people who come up here and I meet from the south, one of the first comment they make to me is, goodness me, everybody talks to us. And I think, wow, yeah, well, that's, that's the north of England. It, it is a bit like that. And that uh, wasn't
0: your experience elsewhere when you were no. working life? Oh, gosh, no, 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 no. What was the big decider for you when you were making that final decision to move permanently to this Mm. part of the world? Sometimes people talk about a T-junction, coming Mm. to a point where you actually have to make your mind up, which way am I going to go? What was it that triggered it? Because it wasn't gigabit broadband at that point.
1: No, but it would have been. (laughs) I think uh, the thing that triggered it more more so was uh, quality of life. Travelling in traffic, queuing up in airports, um, sitting on trains, constantly sitting on trains and and going to to meetings just constantly, sat in a car. So uh, I just thought, right, this is it.
0: It's great to hear about the rural communities, the small villages like this that have connected 8,000 homes across a number of villages – what about the bigger communities, the small towns and even the bigger towns? Will this kind of connectivity be possible? Will it work there?
1: Yeah, I think so, Tony. And it's, it's, it's moving forward, shall we say. I mean, uh, for instance, Barnes reached the edge of Settle now. Um, and what's been a showstopper has been a number of things. cost obviously Mm. Uh, it's cheaper to be able to just trench through a field and dig the fibre in that way but now barn have have grown and are growing continuously and investing so they're now looking at hard road cuttings etc mauling under roads um, micro trenching pavements um, which is a, a, a first for them for example so with that you can then move into the, the more rural towns like Settle and, and uh, Skipton and, and, and places the key, like that. Because
0: the key difference is that ability to get to every individual property. Yes. Bringing fibre to the property.
1: Yes, absolutely. it's the, the biggest expense for any provider in the UK to do that is that last mile connection, that little bit that goes up your drive, uh, across your garden and, and into your house. That's, the, that's one of what the... What if you haven't uh, got a garden? Uh, that 's okay you straight in, I suppose, <laughs> through the wall, um, but going up driveways, digging up uh, getting up there is an expensive thing now with barn we 've done it ourselves we 've helped you know a few community volunteers we 've been doing that, um, but now the even the big players now are starting to um, look at taking that fiber that last mile, um, which will really enhance it, but then again, you need the full backbone. A broadband backbone to support all that super high speed when you do get into the home because again it's a shared medium all the time so with band they guarantee you gigabit they guarantee you symmetrical gigabit i don't think there'll be many will guarantee you gigabit or if they do it be very expensive but if you can get somewhere near that you've got enough Speed, if you can get as close to a gig as you can,
0: and that's transformative for some of it's these. game changing. Towns across
1: the north. Oh, game-changing. absolutely, game changing. So again, these people can then work from home there. You know, in a, in, a, in a in a nice little cottage, in a townhouse, wherever, middle of Skipton. Mm-hmm. If you've got this super broadband, then there's just nothing you can't do from your property.
0: It's a critical utility, just like water, like power. It's a must. And what's the role of government in this thing?
1: Well, they've provide, uh, recently they've announced a £12 billion investment that's aimed to give everybody gigabit broadband in the UK. Now, how that transforms, I don't know. It's going to be very complex because you've got the big players, you've got the virgins of ETs, you've got all these big players, Sky, all these. Um, so everybody will want a piece of that, and some areas will be more expensive than others to do. Um, there are projects, for instance, in York, City Fibre is is a company that's rolling out gigabit broadband to, to the whole city. Um, and that's privately funded uh, as, another, as a separate company. So there are Areas pockets of gigabit were happening, but it needs it really needs that that amount of money twelve billion plus I would say to do it. And for the assurance
0: of getting the success that the eight thousand homes that you've described across this part of the north of England, mm. the answer lies in doing it yourself.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, we've proved that's the case. So. It's going to take a long time.
0: Have spade, have connection. Yeah. Uh, what else are you doing, Keith? Because Rumor has it you're also um, the lead guitarist in a in a in a local band.
1: Yes, that's true. We call revival of the fittest, and we're certainly not the fittest. I can tell you that. Um, so my, my log cabin in my garden is set up as a, a, a rehearsal studio, a recording studio, and my office for work. Um, and we're four lads in Settle, and we've been playing together now for quite a long time. And we we, uh, we just love rock and roll and. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get any better than that.
0: And big gigs in the local community, marquees, yeah, big events.
1: Yeah, we've got one coming up um, in hopefully October for the Fell Race, the Three Peaks Race goes ahead, and that's our biggest ordi- audience of the year. There'll be about eleven hundred to twelve hundred people come to that one, um, and uh, we, we play for about three hours. And the guy will run the twenty-six mile race; he'll do it in less than three hours, and. We play for three hours and we're ready for hospital, I think.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. You've also um, tried your hand at other things. You've got involved in retail, you've got involved in the community in lots of different ways. What yeah. prompted that? Is it is it to fill the gap from being that full-time, 110% international business figure?
1: Yeah, basically it's uh, there comes a time, as you say, that junction in life where... A, is where you want to live, and that's the most important, uh, one of the most important. The second is where What? Where do you take the quality of life to the next level? And so we've opened up a couple of holiday lets. Uh, we've bought a couple of holiday lets, and that's me and my wife run those, and I do part-time now as the uh, chief technical officer of uh, a big broadband company. I do a, f- a few days for not them. Not barn? It's not barn, no. It's a bit bigger than uh, bar. <laughs> but, um And they're American, but yeah. So, I, and, and I do that on an ad hoc basis if I want to. It's the best of the best. I can't ask for any more. They give me a project. If I want to do it, I do it. If I don't, I don't. If I come up with any ideas, I just do it. And what do so, they
0: make of you? What do they call you?
1: Um, it's SEAT. Right. Actually, they call me SEAT. Uh, Senior Engineer Extraterrestrial.
0: <laughs> that's the high-speed, uh, that's the high-speed Keith. Yeah. Yeah. So... Do you do as much travelling, or are you starting to travel again for no. those those clients? No,
1: only if I absolutely have to, and that's a, that's going to be once or twice a year, if that. Maybe the odd trip to Germany or something, but no, 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 no. I, I, if I, I'll do it from home. I'll right. I'll do it from my office. I, I
0: and for other people in your position who are just about to restart that international travelling, mm. restarting, building the air miles again. Yeah you know overseas hotels post-pandemic and uh, and looking at um, the possibility of a change of life what would your advice be?
1: Well I think as you get older you change that's the key when you're when you're younger you know in your 20s 30s developing your career the highlight of your life is to jump on an aeroplane and jet off to a you know far side of the world somewhere and uh, and the travel and the hotels it's a big excitement but eventually that novelty does wear off and it becomes some people want to do it till they drop dead and some people think well hang on a minute life's a bit more important than just work so my view is do it till you don't enjoy it anymore or you feel the travel's becoming a problem or you don't want to do it anymore and then look to change that working environment
0: and you hit that point you came to that point i don't want to do this anymore absolutely yeah yeah and was it Was it one particular event was it one just a build up of a series of uh, challenges it was a build
1: up of doing it for thirty years i mean i 've been married thirty two years i 've been on five to six planes a week for twenty of those years so as I say to my wife we 've been married thirty two but we 've only been together about seven. <laughs>
0: There's also some bonuses, aren't there, when you come to cash in um, all those air miles and they can no longer be used when the world is locked down into a pandemic. I think I saw a fleet of vehicles, rumour has it.
1: It Yes, it's a fact. Um, British Airways contacted me to say I was going to lose 350,000 Avios points, so I thought I'm not using them on air miles, so I went on the uh, Lathwaite site on British Airways, and ordered uh, £4,000 worth of wine and European beers on my air miles, <laughs> which were delivered in two trucks.
0: <laughs> so it's a constant party?
1: Uh, I'm, I don't need a liver transplant just yet, but it, it could be a possibility in the near future, yeah. But I'm giving wine away to everybody who comes to visit me. Uh, we've we've had parties recently in the garden to try and drink some of the beer. Um, but it's the most enjoyable um, cashing of air miles I've ever had in my life.
0: And when those people complete the three peaks, are they all going to get one?
1: Uh, absolutely. I've got to get rid of them somewhere.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you. It's lovely to meet you. And thanks, you, Tony.
1: Thanks. Cheers.